I hope you're well. A couple of things before we get started. Uh, most importantly, the Talmud says there's a debate in the Talmud as to whether the ninth day of the month of Tishrei, which would have been today, is Yom Kippur, or the tenth day of the month of Tishrei is Yom Kippur. And so the Talmud concludes that if you eat double on the ninth day of Tishrei, which is today, then, and you fast on the tenth day, which is tomorrow, then it's as if you have fasted both days. So I hope that you are getting plenty to eat, and especially since it is going to be very warm. It already is warm out here, um, and it's going to be quite humid over the holiday. I hope you get plenty to hydrate. Now, for those of you who know, my entire uh, Yom Kippur, I'm standing and usually speaking. And so people always ask me, so Rabbi, what is your secret to a hydrated and easy fast? And so I'm going to tell you, actually. So if there's one reason why you join me for my sermon today, the one great reason for you to join me today is I'm going to give you my two secrets. So my first secret is I like this, uh, this pure coconut water. So uh, I, I happen to like this blue monkey, but you can get any of them. I get it at the health food store. And this coconut water, I get two of these bottles. I will finish two of these bottles over the course of today just uh, this size. And then something I came across a couple of years ago, and uh, this is something you probably never heard of, but I also get it at the health food store, and that is birch sap. That's right, birch sap. It's, it's just sap of a birch tree, and it is unbelievable. And this is my secret. So I get two bottles of this birch sap, and it is the secret for my successful Fast. So um, since uh, we have to stay hydrated today, let's make a l'chaim together, l'chaim, that uh, we'll be together for the next uh, 50 minutes or so as uh, I deliver my, uh, my kol nidre sermon. So uh, l'chaim, that together we should be able to have a meaningful and powerful, and even though perhaps many of us won't be together physically, we are always together spiritually. And may this year finally bring an end to all the suffering. Everything that's going on, it should be end, and uh, we should have true l'chaim together. L'chaim, l'chaim. There's nothing like that birch sap. So that's my secret. Now you know. So I think it's the first time I've ever shared it. My secret to a long, uh, well, it's going to be long, but a meaningful and hydrated fast. Also, um, I want to remind you some very important mitzvahs of today. Number one is doing kaparot. And um, I, pu- I posted a link of how to do kaparot with money, as many people are choosing to do kaparot with money this year. Also, we give extra charity today, specifically coins. We throw coins into the tzedakah box. Um, and obviously, like I said before, we have two meals today. We're supposed to have more food than usual, and as the Talmud says, it's as if we fasted both today and tomorrow. That's, uh, that's my, uh, my opening for today, and uh, let's get on to my sermon. I was thinking a lot about what would be meaningful. I mean, it's very, very difficult for us to really, to really find 
what's the reason behind all this? What's going on? And the first thing I want to say is that the fact that we're together and the fact that we're able to be together truly in person, it's a gift. I mean, can you imagine going through this pandemic, I don't know, a hundred years ago and come Yom Kippur, here you are, you're sitting safely in the confines of your own home safe from pandemic, and you're able to right now in this moment have a Yom Kippur experience. And I think that is something not to just pull away, not just to to just shy away from. It's a very powerful experience that we can experience here at this moment. So obviously, as most rabbis do, I'm going to start my sermon with a joke. So a few years ago, this lady who always thought that bad guys were invading her home. And at least once a week, she'd wake up her husband in the middle of the night and she'd tell them that she heard a burglar. And she always insisted that her husband go downstairs and check. And for years, this was going on. Recently, it happened again. And she heard a noise and she woke her husband up and said, get up, get up. There's somebody downstairs. There's a burglar here. It was a patient man. Her husband followed the same routine he had done probably a thousand times before. But this time, however, thank God, when he reached the bottom of the stairs, he met a real burglar. The burglar points a very real gun between his eyes and says, don't make a sound. Just give me your valuables. So the man did as he was told. He hands over whatever he has, the jewelry, the cash, and the burglar took the goods and he was about to flee when the man stopped him. He said, wait a minute. You can't leave yet. You have to come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been expecting you for 50 years. Friends, may this year be a year in which we look forward to good things and not bad things. We shouldn't look forward to those moments that uh, that were described. In which we wake up, a year in which we wake up each morning to the blessings and not the bandits. A year of health, a year of happiness. And one certain way to set ourselves up for a good year is to focus on growth and becoming the best possible versions of ourselves we should expect to be better. The celebrated architect, Franklin Lloyd Wright, designed hundreds of magnificent buildings, hundreds of homes, including his masterpiece, as many of you know, the Guggenheim Museum in New York. And his visions today have become iconic, and they remain absolutely unique. The Lloyd Wright House looks like nothing else. And towards the end of his remarkable 70-year career, he was being interviewed by a reporter. I believe it was for CNN. And the reporter asked him the following question. Of the many beautiful designs, tell me, Mr. Wright, which one is your favorite? He thought for a moment, and he said without question, my next one. My next design, that will be my favorite. 
Wright understood the value of growing, of constantly pushing forward and never being satisfied with past successes. His blueprint for the future was more important to him than dwelling on what he had already built. The past was not even remotely as important as what will come in the future. I want you to listen for a moment as to how the Torah puts this idea. The Torah says, which means you shall walk in God's ways. This means, say the sages, that you should emulate the characteristics of God himself, the characteristics that God himself displays. Just as God is kind, so too you should be kind. Just as God is merciful, so too you should be merciful. In Latin, they call it, I believe, imitatio dei, imitating God's character traits in our own lives. The Rebbe interprets this command beautifully. The Rebbe asks, we already have a commandment in the Torah telling us to be compassionate. What is the command to walk in God's ways adding for us? Think about it a second. We know we should be compassionate. Obviously, it should be obvious that we should walk in God's ways. So what is this commandment of walking in God's ways adding to us? We have plenty of models for compassion here on earth. Why do we need a model for compassion in heaven? And I think the verb is the key. The mitzvah to walk. The mitzvah to walk commands us to constantly be on the move. Don't become sluggish. Don't become complacent. Don't become sluggish intellectually or even Jewishly. Every single mitzvah should make us not only grow, but advance. We need to constantly, constantly be on the move. We all put up We all put up barriers when it comes to doing our best work. We tell ourselves, we don't have better ideas. I'm not the creative type. I'm past my peak. Just, I don't know. I just, I don't have it. I'm not having a good day. I'm having a bad day. But the truth is that those barriers, they're not real. So what's the anecdote? What's the secret? Judaism encourages us. To keep moving. Keep moving. Because you are capable of more. Keep pushing. Barriers are there because they're meant to be broken. God didn't create us to reach a particular level, to graduate and then stop. Graduation is just the beginning. So whether you're 8 years old or you're 80 years old, Our job in this world is to constantly be learning, to constantly be striving, to constantly be improving our skills and getting better at what we do. We are meant to be in motion. We are meant to be creative. It's very interesting because I've been noticing various synagogues and how they've responded to the pandemic. Obviously, this is a very important time of the year for a synagogue. It's a very important time for the year for rabbis. And I've just noticed from the synagogues that I've been following as to how 
people are responding to this pandemic during this time of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And what I've noticed is there's some that have been adapting and that have been easy to change and some that have not been so easy to change. And it's fascinating to me because, look, nobody expected this. Nobody expected that come Rosh Hashanah that we'd be in this situation. Yet here we are. And we have to ask ourselves, what does God want from us? What's in it for us? On Rosh Hashanah, if you followed my sermon, I spoke about how we need to be better for the sake of everyone, for the sake of self-improvement, whether in the material sense or in the spiritual sense, and not just something that we do for ourselves. We have the responsibility to the world and to God to get on the move. You see, the problem is that we're always waiting We're waiting. We're waiting for something to inspire us. We're waiting for our circumstances to change. We're just waiting. One of my favorite books is a book by Dr. Seuss, and it's called All the Places You Go. And one of my favorite pages of that book is the page, if you've ever read this book, if you haven't, I highly recommend you read it. It's not a book just for kids. It's a book for adults as well. And one of my favorite pages is this, the waiting page. And everyone's just waiting. And, you know, waiting for the bus to go or the train to come or something to go and that thing. Everyone's just waiting. And we're constantly, I don't know, and I see, I see that it's become this, this complacency that we're just constantly waiting. Waiting for what? We've all... We've all had a very hard year. I don't know about you, but I've had a very hard year. We've been stuck at home. We've been mourning the world that used to be. And we're trying to come to terms with, I guess, an uncertain future. But my only wish, my request to you on this incredible day, this holy day, just hours before Yom Kippur's starting, is to stop waiting. We need to act. We need to do it now. The world is depending on us. We must stop waiting. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? (laughs) Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. People keep on asking me, what's the secret to happiness? Even in these trying times, I can give it to you in one word. Growth. 
growth equals happiness. When you buy something new or when you achieve a goal, you feel this little happiness bump. But for how long? Do you feel it for a week? Do you feel it for a month, for six months, for a year? And then you don't feel so happy. It doesn't matter how great your achievement is. It doesn't matter how smashing your success is. You're going to return. You're always going to return to your baseline of happiness. But why is that? Because life is not about achieving a goal and then stopping. It's about constant growth. It's about the pursuit of even higher levels. The Hebrew word sameach, which means happy, sameach means happy, is very closely related to the Hebrew word someach, which is growing. Think about that. Sameach, happy, and someach, growing. You almost can barely hear the difference. Our happiness depends on our spiritual growth. Happiness is not a fixed state that we arrive at, but rather a way of being that involves constant change, that involves constant improvement. We take it with us. It's the fuel. It's not the rest stop. Or as Will Rogers puts it, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. The only thing that's going to make us happy in the long run is knowing that every day we're growing. Every day we're contributing and every single day we are having an impact and we're serving. That's how we stay sane in these crazy times that we live in. And even if we can't do the things that we're used to doing, even if we can't do our regular jobs, We need to find growth somewhere, somehow. We need to keep on growing. This is not a time to stop. This is a time that's been given to us as a gift. And the gift is, now that you have this time, what are you going to do with it? And so if we're going to keep growing, we need a vision to inspire us. It's not enough to just have a push. We need to have a pull as well. I'm going to quote a guy that you probably wouldn't expect a rabbi quoting in his sermon before Yom Kippur. But I think he's such a great example of all of this. Elon Musk, the Meshuggahner. I think he's a good example of a person with big, with bold goals. And he's not waiting to accomplish them. I remember a couple years ago, my son... Zami, he's very into Elon Musk because he likes Tesla. And so I started looking him up and I saw this guy was saying he's going to do these commercial flights to the Mars, I think. He's doing a commercial flight to Mars. And I thought he was Meshuggah. I mean, who does commercial, who even, he's selling rich people. I mean, has this what the world has come to? He's selling rich people commercial flights to Mars. But my son he, for some reason, he, he was very uh, infatuated with this Elon Musk. He even made me buy him a share of Tesla stock with his birthday and allowance money. And this is, beco- this is before they cost a small fortune. 
And if you want some insight into how Musk thinks, if you go to his headquarters at SpaceX in Hawthorne, California, at the front of his office, Musk has two giant pictures of planet Mars. One is a picture of Mars as it is today, cold, uninhabitable, no signs of life. And the other is the Mars of the future, populated by humans with a vast green landmass surrounded by oceans. The planet has been heated up and transformed into an Earth-like paradise. The universe has been transformed. Now, we all know that Musk's dream is straight out of a science fiction novel. His goals are absurd, not just because they've never been realized before, but because most of the technology required doesn't even exist yet. They cross the line from fact to fantasy. He wants to colonize Mars in 20 years. He wants to end humanity's dependence on fossil fuels in his lifetime. He wants to revolutionize transportation both on Earth and in space. And I used to think that guy was nuts. Yet in the past few years, cynics like me have had to take notice as to what this man is actually accomplishing. SpaceX has created reusable rockets at one-third the cost of existing rockets. Tesla has delivered these beautiful all-electric vehicles. Consumer Reports describe them as the best cars ever made. And yeah, Musk has created a solar city, this booming solar energy company that is transforming its industry. And across the board, Musk's once struggling companies are hitting their ambitious targets and driving through them. Musk has delivered the biggest advances in space, in automotive, and in the energy industries in decades. And together, these feats mark him as one of the most successful business titans ever. I think that Musk's story is a powerful reminder that when we set our sights very, very high, we can accomplish truly bold goals. And without that vision, we're never going to get there. With it, there's a map. With it, there's something special. We may fall short at times, but we have a steady north star to keep guiding us towards heights no one imagined possible ever before. And even if we accomplish a fraction of what we set out to do, we will have remade the world. And we don't have to wait. We don't have to be in this waiting game. We don't have to wait for other people to solve solve our problems for us. We don't have to wait to develop the tools. Musk didn't sit back and say, well, I mean, hmm, it would be great if I colonized Mars, but we don't have the technology yet. So you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to wait until the world is ready. He didn't wait until the world was ready. He established his goal and he started moving towards it. Today, 
No waiting on the sidelines for everyone else in the world to bring us closer. Judaism, for centuries, has had the most wildly ambitious goal of all. Through all of the most difficult times, through the suffering, through the turbulence, through pandemics, through persecutions, through holocausts, we have had an ambitious goal. Always to make this world a beautiful home for God and a beautiful home for mankind. We are the people who have always had a hope, a belief in a redemption. What's fascinating about the word redemption is that the redemption comes as a result of our actions. We believe in this idea of Mashiach, that there's going to be a redemption that will come. And we believe that not that we're going to wait for it to happen, but that our good deeds today, every single good deed that we do today will help make that happen. As George just said to me, make this world great again. Or just make this world great. We're not sure about again. Indeed, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who actually do. The people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who actually do. We know that dreams will eventually become a reality and that even though it looks far off sometimes, it shouldn't matter. We don't need to wait for anything to get started. We have the ability to bring forth a beautiful and a powerful world right now. That's our job. Once you have a vision, once you have a vision, today, the day before Yom Kippur, just hours before Kol Nidre, we can close our eyes and we can think of what's my vision? What is my vision? What's my plan? And even if your vision is part of the universal Jewish vision, which is make the world a better place or make this world great, even if that's what your vision is, that's a great starting point for a vision. But that's not enough. After you have the vision, let's say we're calling our vision making the world great. Now you need a plan for personal growth. And not something vague like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be wonderful. I'm going to treat everybody fairly. You need a specific plan. A plan that lays out how you're going to grow. And it needs to include concrete steps that you're going to take to get better. You need to build a path to that better future. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some ideas now. I'll give you some ideas of things that I've done. So that way, it's not just a theoretical thing that I'm telling you. It's something that I have done. And it's also a process. I'm, you know, as I'm going through and re going over this year and thinking about how I can be better, I'm also going through things that I've done and changes that I've made. I used to like to listen to the radio a lot. If I'm driving or if I'm walking, I do a lot of walking. So I like to listen to the radio. I decided to cut out the radio and I started listening exclusively to podcasts. What's great about podcasts is I can curate hours and hours of learning. I can listen to material that will help me grow, that will help me improve. 
it's unbelievable. I was, I was looking at this study that the average North American spends 17,600 minutes driving each year. 17,600 minutes driving each year. That's about 300 hours a year in the car. Think about if you turned your car into a university, into a yeshiva, into a place of learning, that when you walked into the car, and a lot of the car you're driving, it's mindless to a certain extent, that you said, this is not just, I'm in the car and I have to go from point A to point B, or I'm in road rage, but this is valuable time. This is learning time. This is the time that I get to learn and study. I'm just going to turn on my take my phone and turn on my podcast, whatever the next podcast on my curated list is, and just learn if it's for five minutes in the car and if it's for an hour in the car, it doesn't matter. But that's the place that I am going to learn. Imagine what you can learn in 300 hours. And I think it's such a beautiful way to keep growing and better yourself. You're there anyway. It's a time that, so to speak, is wasted anyway. So you might as well take that time to learn. And that's what I've done over the past year. And I cannot tell you all the amazing things. And I can definitely share with you some of my favorite podcasts if you want. And if you don't know how to do a pod, how to, how to set up a podcast, I encourage you to learn. It's very easy. Most of us have smartphones and it's very easy to set up podcasts in our phones. And your plan could be the following. I'll get up every morning and I'm going to spend the first 15 minutes of my day meditating, just being still, whether meditating on my breath or meditating on something that is powerful. I'll give you an example of my morning meditation today. I meditated that about forgiveness today and about how very soon will be fall. And already it's starting here in Montreal where the leaves are falling off the trees. And as the leaves fall off the trees, I think about how much they have to let go. And if the trees have to let so much go as the fall comes in, then maybe this is a message to me that I have to let go. And I thought about that. That was just the 30-second version of my meditation this morning. But you can just ponder on that. And every day, just think about the world around you and meditate on it and see how that could change you. And then a little prayer. For those of you who put on tefillin, put on tefillin. For those of you who are able to go to synagogue, perhaps go to synagogue. These are definite plans. These are concrete plans that for this amount of time, every single day, the first thing I'm going to do is this and this and this. That's it. And when we take this kind of concrete responsibility for our growth, God does something very special. God blesses our efforts. And our efforts build and they blossom. One of the most difficult things this year for a lot of people is the fact that many people won't be in shul tomorrow to be able to recite Yiskor for their loved ones. And obviously, I'll just say this, as I've said it a number of times over the past couple of days, if you're not going to be in shul, I will make sure that Yiskor is arranged for your loved ones. Just email me their names and I will make sure that Yisker is done for them. That's very important. Now, when we recite Yisker, the Talmud tells us that even the souls that have passed on to the next world, they live, they study Torah, they remain engaged. 
and they may no longer be able to change the physical world themselves. But there is one way that they can still affect it. And that's if their memories, if their legacies continue to inspire and motivate people to perform mitzvot, to perform good deeds in their honor. And that is how they continue to live with us. And that's how they continue to live within us. And so today, tonight, even if you're not going to shul, you're able to light a candle, a yiskor candle, a candle for the soul. And you're able to remember those dearly departed loved ones and to recognize that the most beautiful thing that we are able to do for them is to perpetuate goodness and perpetuate godliness in their honor. And during this next 25 hours of Yom Kippur, you can speak to them. Maybe it won't be in the way that you usually do in the synagogue, but you can tell them how their lives, how their legacy will live, how their legacy will grow in you, God willing, in your children, in your grandchildren. And I know that their souls are listening, and it would mean so much to them. I want to tell you just two more stories before I conclude. I want to tell you first a story that may be the possible downside to waiting. You never know what opportunity is going to close and when that opportunity is going to close. I've lost count of the things that I've been putting off doing before COVID showed up. And then bam, COVID came and it was too late. But there's an emotional story that my colleague, Rabbi Josh, Rabbi Josh Berkowitz shared with me a few weeks ago. Every summer, Chabad and DG holds a raffle sweepstakes. And it's our lifeline fundraiser. It's really, you know, our big fundraiser. And most of you have heard of it. Most of you have participated in it. And every year, without fail, there are a few people who pledge tickets, but don't remember to send their annual contribution. Just as a side note, today's a good day to, to, to pay up. You don't want to have any debts coming into the new year. I'm not speaking to anyone specifically. I'm just saying that because I was saying it. And if you've made any pledges to any organizations out there, today's a good day to pay up. Just go onto their website and just pay your debts. You don't want to go into the new year with debts. Anyway, so if someone doesn't play their pledge right away, usually it means that someone will make the effort to get in touch with them and ask them very, very, very nicely if they could pay up their pledge. This year, there was an exception to that rule. One gentleman who pledged to that fundraiser, and then this is the story that Rabbi Josh told me. He texted Rabbi Josh that he wanted to give him his credit card without being contacted by us first. Now, that is, he's the only person that I know of that had made the pledge and had contacted us, you didn't take my credit card. His name was Michael Chernak. Rabbi Josh told me that he saw the message and he was so blown away by Michael's good intentions, by his sincerity, that nobody else wrote a message like that, reminding us to contact them. But as Rabbi Josh tells it, he had too much going on and he pushed it off until 
he planned to get on the phone and focus on collecting on all the pledges at once. And he kicked the can down the road, not too long, just a few weeks. Now, Michael was not a very old man. He got sick of, from some sort of autoimmune disease, one Motzei Shabbat this past summer. And by the next Friday, Michael's soul had left this world and he was buried before the next Shabbat began. He was such a wonderful man. And I'm sure at least some of you who are listening knew him. But Rabbi Josh shared it with me and, and I'm gonna think about that forever. And I'm gonna remember that had he had the opportunity to help someone do the greatest mitzvah, to give charity, and he waited. And now, Michael can't do that mitzvah anymore. It's too late for him. It's up to us to do mitzvahs on his behalf. And all of the other people whose time in this world has passed, It's just one of those thoughts, one of those meditations, one of those reflections. It's never too late, but more importantly, now is the time. And I wanna finish with one last story today. The story of Miriam Peretz. She's an internationally celebrated Israeli speaker. She wrote a book called Miriam's Song. You may have read it. This, the book tells her story, and it became a bestseller. Her story is that she's born in Morocco. Miriam immigrated to Israel as a young girl with parents who were poor and completely illiterate. As a teenager, she took menial jobs. She used money to buy necessities for her parents and to go to school, where she threw herself into her studies. And there is plenty that Miriam could have complained about. And she didn't have many of the advantages of her classmates, but she never objected. She was too busy working and studying and advancing. She didn't even have the time to be bitter. Eventually Miriam earns two degrees. She gets married, she raises a family and she helps develop her community. She accepted a teaching position in a suburb of Jerusalem where her family lived and feeling she could contribute more. She worked hard and soon became a very popular principal. She was fully engaged in her career and raising her family when tragedy struck. One day out of the blue, Miriam's oldest son Uriel was killed by terrorists during his army service. Life for the Peretz family would never be the same. There would always be Uriel's chair sitting empty at the Shabbat table, sitting empty at the holiday table. His younger siblings would miss his offbeat sense of humor. Conversation would be duller without his commentary. It was a hole that for the Peretz family would be impossible to fill. Miriam's husband, Eliezer, invested time and effort to memorialize his son. He undertook various projects to keep his memory alive, but that wasn't enough. Uriel was gone, and Eliezer's heart was shattered, so shattered 
that he died a few years later. And now Miriam was left without her beloved partner and her closest friend. And the way she describes it, the loneliness was excruciating. But she made a choice on word. These are her words, on word. And despite everything, she says, I would remain present and available to my family and to my community. And then my friends, the unthinkable occurred. 11 years after Uriel's death, Miriam looked out the window and saw men in army uniforms approaching her door. They knocked once, and with her second-born son, Aliraz, serving in the IDF, she refused to answer. They knocked again, and in her mind, as long as they didn't enter and give me the official notice, my son was still alive, and I so wanted to hold on to that. But she couldn't refuse the knock forever, and eventually the uniformed visitors had to tell her that Aliraz too was gone, killed in a battle with terrorists. Miriam now had four grandchildren without a father and a young daughter-in-law who had abruptly become a widow. She has said that she went through all the stages of grief and eventually she said, I came to realize that I was powerless over what had happened. I could not bring back my sons. But so long as I am alive, she says, I have the ability to wake up each day and to live a purposeful life. When I read that, I said to myself, my gosh, that is what heroism looks like. That is the definition of heroism. She continues writing. She says, there's no question that I would be justified in staying in bed most days. And believe me, there are some days when I feel like doing just that. But I don't. I keep moving. There's so much I can do in this life. I can speak. I can walk. How many people are not even able to do that? And she continues to say that each day I make the choice again. I make the choice again each day. I will live. I will grow. I will live. I will grow. Each day I make that choice over and over and over. I will live. I will grow. Today, Miriam Peretz is incredibly active. Every week she goes out and speaks to hundreds of soldiers. She goes from city to city across the Holy Land, visiting families who have lost loved ones in the IDF. She volunteers for many worthy organizations, and she's become something of a legend, beloved by Israelis of all stripes. People come up to her on the street asking her for a hug or a few words of encouragement. Her smile and her patience 
have a way of opening their hearts. And she looks at them and says, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. She whispers while stroking at another tear-strained cheek. We have a choice each and every day to keep on living. And her unspoken message, if I can do it, so can you. And with that, Miriam moves on, continuing with her daily mission to live as fully as she possibly can. In 2018, Miriam was the recipient of the Israel Prize, which is the state of Israel's highest honor. And so I look at myself and I look at each and every one of you and I say, if she can get out of bed every morning and find a way to grow and find a way to sing her song and find a way to make music in this world, music that brings joy into her life, joy into the lives of her children, joy into the lives of her grandchildren, joy into the lives of thousands of others. So can we, we can do the same. And so today I ask you to commit to growing just a little bit every single day. Don't say I'm gonna start with tomorrow, start with today. And if we keep struggling, if we keep persevering, and getting better at what we do, then God is going to bless our efforts. He's going to take our steps and accelerate them. Mechayil el-chayil, carrying us to unimagined places. We're going to go further than we ever dreamed possible. And in doing so, become everything God created us to be. And the entire world, everything it was meant to become. And that's our job today. It's a very difficult task because we're going through a lot of tsuris. There's a lot of uncertainty. I didn't say the task was easy, but it's this moment in our lives that is allowing us, that is giving us the time, that is giving us the ability to look so differently at our lives, differently than we've ever looked before and ask ourselves, how can I grow? How can I become better? And take actionable steps, things that we can actually do. Make that commitment today. And so Hashem should bless each and every one of you. Hashem should bless each and every one of us as we're just hours from the holiest day of the year. We're hours from Yom Kippur. Hashem should bless us that together we should be able to get through this. We may be physically apart, but spiritually we are as one soul with one heart. We are together more today than we've ever been before. And Hashem knows that. Hashem knows that we are making efforts in ways that we've never made before. And Hashem is looking down at us and saying, aha, that's my people. They can adapt. They always have. And once again, today they are again. My people, they have the ability to see the goodness 
to see the godliness, to see the joy in every single moment, even in the most difficult moments. They could see that. And they can learn from one another. They can learn from the Miriam Peretzes of the world. And they're able to realize these people, my people, they're able to realize that the world is a beautiful place. They're able to realize my meditation this morning that sometimes we have to look at the tree and watch those leaves fall. But the leaves falling off the tree are not a sign of retreat. They're not a sign of loss. They're a sign of future growth. And that's the process. The future growth becomes the process that each and every one of us need to go through. I wish you, each and every one of you, that this Yom Kippur should be the most meaningful that you've ever had. If you're going to be at home, then I encourage you to find, if you don't have a machzor, I'll make sure you get a machzor. I posted an, a machzor on my site. I have resources, not only a machzor that I posted, but I also posted a full follow-along guide full, filled with meditations, ideas, things that you can use at home to have a very meaningful Yom Kippur at home. And I'll send you those links. You can just email me, rabbi at jewishndg.com right after this class, or email me right now, rabbi at jewishndg.com, and I will send you all the links that you need in order to have a meaningful Yom Kippur. And this Yom Kippur, whether you're alone or whether you're able to be one of the few that are able to go to shul this year, take that time, close your eyes, and have a conversation with a higher power. Have a conversation with God. God is not bad. God did not do anything. He's not doing nasty. It's not a, a time where God did terrible things to us. This is the time that God has given us to see who we are, even in the face of struggle, even in the face of hardship. What do you think? God doesn't know what we're going through. He knows exactly what we're going through. And with that, we're going to be adaptable. With that, we are going to be the ones that are going to show God that it's okay. Even this, even in our good times and even in our bad times, we are going to show that it's okay. We can see it through. We can make the change. We can grow. And with that, Hashem is going to look at us and smile and say, aha, this is my people. You're mine. And will grant us with a beautiful, meaningful, sweet, healthy, 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 health more than anything. A healthy and a happy and a fulfilled new year. And God bless all of you. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.